You're listening to In the Open, a Mental Health America podcast, a space where we explore mental health and navigate the challenges of life through honest and candid conversation. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another session of In the Open. This is Alyssa and Dr. Kojo. Feel free to say hi, Dr. Kojo. Hey, how are you doing? Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course, of course. Teresa and America are out for this episode, but they will be back soon. And this week, we are going to talk about how BIPOC folks can find community online. Dr. Kojo here has an excellent following on several different platforms and has really done a wonderful job at creating that kind of community online. Appreciate that. So just to start here, Dr. Kojo, I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about your platform and, and how you've been using it. Yeah. So uh, first of all, thank you for having me on, on this podcast. I really appreciate that. And uh, it, it's my passion to, you know, promote mental health awareness in unconventional ways. You know, so I started off with, you know, the TikTok dances and then, you know, we moved to skits and then you know the mental health raps and the different things like that. And uh, between Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, uh, my goal is to put out information and create a community where people can come together and, uh, you know, regardless of your age, your gender, you know, your sex, your sexual orientation, uh, it's just a community where we can all come together and learn about mental health and just really understand that it's okay to not be okay. And just to give you that validation, because a lot of times we don't have that in our day-to-day lives. You know, normally when we're struggling, we feel like we have to go through it alone. You know, it's really easy to isolate. So my, my platforms, regardless of what, wherever it's at, you know, um, my online presence, everything is dedicated to creating that space where people can be themselves and um, we can create the most mentally healthy version of um, who we are. I love that. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. I think there's there's a lot of different ways that folks can um, create community, whether that's in person or online. And I think you've, you've done such a wonderful job really showcasing how folks can get connected through, you know, these videos and through having conversations about their mental health. And, you know, you don't necessarily have to know everybody online, of course, but you can, you know, you can jump into the comments, you can talk about your experiences. And that's definitely something that I've, I've seen a lot with, with uh, your followers as well. Yeah, I appreciate And I've seen that too. Um, I appreciate it. I've seen some of the, uh, the videos that I post that go, you know, really viral. Just looking through the comment section, uh, it, it makes me feel good because sometimes I don't even get the chance to see all the comments, but somebody will leave a comment in there and then you'll see people leave another comment under that comment. And it'll be like this chain reaction where people are saying, oh, I went through this as well. And they're sharing tips. And it's just a community that, you know, we always kind of wanted. Uh, and thanks to the internet, it's it's possible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know that your videos come up on my feed pretty often. <laughs> so I've I've seen a lot of folks in the comments go, oh, oh my gosh, I totally relate to this. A lot of, there's a lot of comments that are like, same, same, same. Um, so <laughs> I really, I really love seeing that. And I think it's really important for folks to know that they have that opportunity to, to connect with other folks online. So in general, when we talk about, about finding community and finding connection, can you speak a little bit about how that's important for BIPOC folks and, and why, why that is such a key for, for BIPOC folks in, in supporting their mental health? I think it's extremely important. You know, when you look at, you know, BIPOC 
folks and uh, the historically disenfranchised. You look at their experience in this country, going back to the, the formative years, you know, a lot of us can remember the days where, you know, you're around a lot of people, but you're looking around and there's nobody who's like you. And there's nothing wrong with that theoretically, but sometimes it's hard to fit in. You know, sometimes it's hard to be, you know, relatable. It was hard to be understood when you're the only person of a, of a kind there. So I think it's important to see not only other people like you, but also other people like you who are doing great things because there's a certain type of trauma that comes with being a minority uh, in this country. Uh, and it's, you know, it's unescapable. It's, it's going to come. So when you have other people who have these shared experiences, it helps you feel a little bit less alone. And I, I do think it is important to have people who don't look like you, but you do need to have people who look like you, who have your shared experiences, who you can just look at them and they know something without you having to explain that. It's very validating and it makes us feel more human. So I think, you know, uh, this for me, it was really difficult uh, finding that I lived in Norway growing up uh, and then I moved to Nashville, Tennessee with my family. So there wasn't a lot of, you know, black people or Africans or African-Americans around um, or not even a lot of Hispanics. But once I started to, you know, mingle with all kinds of people, uh, it just helped me not only understand myself better, but also have empathy for other individuals as well. I'm sure that was such a culture shock for you. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it, was, it was a huge culture shock. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can only imagine. I'm sure that's something for a lot of folks that, you know, when you're in a place where, where you're not surrounded by, by those who uh, look like you, who talk like you, who, who have similar experiences, and then you get into a place where you are around around folks who do have those kind of experiences and do seem more similar to you. And, and you know, that can really feel like something that stands out and that that can really feel yeah. odd for folks you know it's very isolating it's, it's, it's difficult yeah absolutely for for this year's uh bipoc mental health campaign we've been really talking about a lot of different ways that folks can connect back to their culture and why it's important for folks to have that cultural community around them and why it's important to have that representation around them. Because yeah. often we know that BIPOC folks can really feel ostracized in, yeah. in certain situations, especially if you are somebody who is in a primarily white area or you don't have those cultural connections that, that you might really need to feel feel well connected to, to those within your family and those within your, your traditions. Yeah. And, and the, the evidence is there. You know, if you look at um, the struggles that black women have when they're, you know, giving birth, they have poor outcomes when they don't have a, a, a black provider. You know, so there's actual evidence and data that shows that, hey, if you have black folks or Hispanic folks or people from this demographic, it's very helpful to have other people who understand their experiences because sometimes everything is not pathological, but somebody who comes from a whole different background may not be able to understand you in a certain way. And that could impact the care that you receive, you know. So when it comes down to, you know, the person who's treating you or the people who are around you impacting your health outcomes, then I think we can clearly see that, you know, this is not just, oh, we need diversity. Because sometimes people are like, oh, you're just trying to fill a quota, have this many people around. But uh, it's actually life-saving to have people who look like you around you. Especially within within the health field, within the mental health field, it's absolutely key for people to have that sense of trust with their provider and right. vice versa, for their provider to, to be trusting of their patient and, and to be 
willing to, you know, take the extra step if needed and not just push somebody off. I think that that's something that we often see in in BIPOC communities around their providers that, you know, you might go to the to the doctors for one thing and they're just like, okay, you know, it's not that big of a deal. You can, you know, go drink some water, your headache's going to go away, whatever it is, and they're not really going to look into it further, right? Right. And and, I mean, I have this story where I was working, I was in school, uh, so I was, shit, I'm going to need the psychiatrist. And I remember there was a young African-American male, you know, rapping the words to a song by Young Thug, you know, and I I happened to know the song. So I'm like, okay, all right, he's having a good time. But the psychiatrist, you know, wrote, you know, um, disorganized speech, you know, thought process all over the place. And I'm like, hmm, he just didn't understand the patient. But I explained to him, I'm I'm like, oh, he's singing a song. I don't feel like he's responding to internal stimuli. I don't think he's hearing voices or seeing things. He's just singing this song. And that's just one example of, you know, standing up for your patients, because that could be a difference between that person's medication regimen being changed and them having more uh, neuroleptic medications added because it looks like they're not, you know, all the way there versus them just singing a song. So cultural competence goes beyond what we were taught in school. Sometimes it's just a shared experience. So it just helps to have different people around. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you touch on such a good point there, too. We know from the research that Black men are often overdiagnosed with, with schizophrenia. That is and true. often it, it comes from, from those biases within doctors who don't know what exactly what the individual that they're with is experiencing, is it maybe might not be willing to ask those questions, or maybe is making some different kinds of assumptions there. And we know that it's it's just so, so vital to have somebody that looks like you, talks like you, might have similar experiences as you. It's life-saving. Yeah. I was wondering if you could also um, talk a little bit about your own experience within this field and, and how that's been as somebody who is so prominent in, in the field now and, and so prominent online, but as a Black man who is somebody that is really a leader in this field, but we know that this field is, is really dominated by white providers still. Right. To be honest, if we're being honest, just you asking that question makes me feel really good because it's not a question I, I get asked. <laughs> I don't think I've been asked that question though ever but uh, it's, it's it's frustrating because i'm obviously because of the position i'm in with social media uh, i'm able to advocate for myself but i look at my peers and people who look like me and you know people who don't come from a lot and you know i know that when they ask questions you know and that's that's one of the reasons why i post the content and i try and make it funny and engaging because that's the best way to educate people but there's so many people out there who don't have the proper resources they don't have the the information. They don't have the financial resources. They don't have even the, the basics. If you don't have a place to live, you know, food, water, the essentials, you're not really worried about, man. You know, you're just trying to get by. Um, and it's frustrating as a uh, as a black man, you know, because originally, you know, I grew up just like everybody else, but because of a couple of different breaks, I got lucky here, blah, blah, blah. I'm able to see things differently. Um, and it's difficult when you know that certain people just won't have the advantages that other people have because of things that they can't control, you know, and there's no immediate solution to that. And it's very frustrating. Um, and this is part of my frustration with the everything, you know, cause I want to see people who look like me, but it's difficult when you live in a 
a school zone where you're not going to get the best care. You won't get the best food. You don't get the best resources. There's a lot of crime there. Your parents aren't home. So if anything, it just makes me want to be a, a better champion for equity, you know, because yeah. some of us aren't starting on that equal footing like we're much lower than other people so i think it's just really important for people to understand that and on the other side for people to understand that you know if you do have like the basics or if you do have you know a little bit of privilege whether it's financially whether it's through the color of your skin that you understand that not everybody has this so you can use your voice to advocate for other people yeah absolutely and i think you make such a good point about about privilege and how that shows up in so many different ways for for each of us. I know for myself, I'm I'm a Mexican American woman. I prefer my label as Chicana, um, which is a Mexican American person who was born in the U.S. And yeah, like for me, I know that being represented was such a, a key for me. I I didn't feel represented by so many folks in this field, and and so I really felt the need to to be that representation for a lot of folks. It can be really tough, especially in this field when, you know, those of us are in this field, we care a lot, right? We right. we have we have to care a lot, and especially to be talking about things like mental health equity, it really requires all of us to be willing to continue this fight and willing to see the worst of the system and still be willing to want to change parts of it and want right. to want to work with with folks to to be able to ensure that 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 folks that look like us that talk like us that have our our similar experiences are actually able to get into the field and get uh, even to the therapist's office or whatever it is whatever your healing medium is it's really such a key for folks um, and you speaking about privilege I know that that's something that often T people tend to look at it as like a black and white type issue where, you know, you might have, you have privilege if you, if this is your skin color or this is, or if this is your experience. But what we know is that privilege is really layered and it's, it's so deeply layered. Very much so. It's on many different levels. Even just, I tell people all the time, like, let's say if I lost every single thing, I still have privilege because I went to school and I got a doctorate. So I have mental health information. So I'm able to educate myself on basic self-care things that people might not know to do. Getting enough sleep, putting healthy foods into your body, get a little bit of exercise, hang around people who support you, eliminate negative self-talk. Some people don't even know to do that. So my privilege even extends to like my education level and like the things I'm able to tell my family, things I can tell myself on, on rough days. And that's something that we don't ever really talk about you know so i like the fact that you mentioned that privilege is layered uh and even go back to the earlier point i think it's important for us to realize uh that we don't have to carry the whole burden of our community on our backs professionally yes because uh, yes. that thought just came in my head because i've had to i've felt like I'm the spokesperson for all African-Americans, all Africans, all foreigners, sometimes in a mental health setting because I'm the only minority there. Yeah. You know, like I'll take it as like, okay, a challenge. All right, I'm, I'm championing. I'm the champion for all these people. I'm going to speak up for them. But it can be very overwhelming when you look around and there's not any help. You know, like if I don't see you around or somebody else is a minority, I'm like, okay, like maybe I'm, I speak up for – there's been times where I felt like I've had to be the voice for – 
the Hispanic people, Indian people, just anybody who who can't speak English, who's in a yeah. mental health setting. So it, it can be draining. So I think we should remind ourselves of that from time to time. I think so too. And I think that there's there's a lot of power in the willingness to rest, the willingness to allow yourself mm. to, to recover, right? I um, know this organization that is called Rest for Resistance. And mm. I love I love that concept that rest is our resistance. Rest is such a key for for those of us within the helping field and those of us who are really passionate about wanting to um, ensure that there is equity for for all and being able to rest and to recover and to give yourself that that grace and not to just carry the whole world on your shoulders can really be the most selfless thing that that you can do often because it's what keeps you going and it's what ensures that you're your spirit is going to stick around for a while, that your body is going to stick around for a while so that you can do these things, right? Taking time for yourself, while it appears to be selfish, is also the best thing you can do for other people. Because then you show up and you put put yourself in a position to where you're able to give to other people. Whereas if you try to pour from an empty cup, which unfortunately we are sometimes really good at doing, uh, it's going to lead you to burnout. And then you're like, oh no, I'm here again. You know, I don't want to be here. And you know, one thing one thing we've we've talked about in in this year's uh, BIPOC mental health campaign is the fact that we know that distance and and displacement and isolation have all been such illnesses for for our BIPOC communities. But we also know that community and connection is really our medicine, it and is. community and connection is really our key ensuring that we are in fact going back to our roots. We are in fact reaching out to one another, whether that's in person or online and that we're, you know, even online, if, if just like you are, you're putting out content that is so relatable for folks and is, is such a key for folks to see that and go, Oh, actually I feel that too. Wait, Dr. Kojo's got it, (laughs) you know? It's it's really important for folks to to have that ability to to feel connected to one another and and I really just appreciate so much of of how you've used your platform for that. Yeah, and I appreciate the appreciation. I know it sounds cliche, but uh, I'm just grateful that I have the voice and I'm able to speak up about these things because, like, I, I'll tell my brothers all the time. I'll say, if a tree falls on the forest and you know nobody's there, it doesn't make a sound. You know, so I'm just grateful that people are there and people are watching and listening. And, you know, when you take all these experiences that we have and there's even times that I've watched videos that have given me inspiration. And when I watch a video, I pay attention to the feeling that I have. It's, it's a very validating feeling when I look at a video. And I'm like, oh, wow, I thought I was the only one who forgets their keys three times a day or my, <laughs> I lose my wallet, air tags, you know, uh, and if you're living life, like as I do with ADHD, and every single day you do these types of things, you know, it's, it's whatever until I miss a very important meeting. And then I go back and look at everything that happened that led to me being late. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And then the negative self-talk starts to creep in. And I realize that if I don't catch myself, I'm going to get to a point where I don't like where I'm going mentally off of a small thing. So when somebody makes a relatable video about like a small thing, like ruining their day, we're laughing, but it lets you know that, okay, I'm not the only person going through this. And sometimes just by doing that, you've kind of created a pseudo community where it's like, okay, I don't know this person in Nebraska. I don't know this person in California, but 
we all kind of live similar lives. So I have that connection with them, you know, and connection is what you need for a community. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really feel that we're in such such a an interesting place with, with technology and with, with social media right now yeah. where we get to see so much of the inner lives of, of people from all over. And, and we actually get to highlight some of these small things that we thought, Oh, I thought that was just me. You know, I myself didn't know I had ADHD until I was watching too many TikToks and my TikTok <laughs> algorithm was going, you have ADHD, you have ADHD. And I was like, all right, relax. <laughs> and then one day I was like, maybe I should get tested. That's interesting. Right. That's, remar- that that's is remarkable. Scary. <laughs> it is. It is. Cause you'll do something and then like you'll hop on TikTok and then five minutes later, somebody's doing the same thing. I'm like, are y'all spying on me in my house? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. On that note too, who online are, are you following that, that you've been really, you know, loving their content or, or finding, um, you know, similarities in, in experiences with? It's a great question. Uh, online, uh, I like to follow people that, uh, interestingly enough, get me to stop scrolling. So normally people who do things unconventionally. So I love people who put uh, different skits. I love people who explain things simply because it, it gives me a form on, oh, I can explain this thing really simply. Or this person is able to talk to you know, the average person because they speak in terms that like a fourth grader would understand. Um, and I watch a lot of uh, comedic content, you know, so anybody who is within that comedic mental health realm, uh, because my thing is, you know, you can sit there on a bad day and, and you know, be depressed and or be low, you know, instead of saying depressed, because if you're depressed and it's a clinical condition, that's different. Yeah, but yeah. You can be low and uh, you can start to feel bad for yourself. But anytime that I've ever been low and or sad and or depressed or and or behind, laughing always kind of gets me out of it. You know, like I'll laugh my way through something and I'll say, OK, maybe things aren't that bad. So uh, for me, laughing helps me reframe and helps me be more present. So I love watching funny content, anything that revolves around education, mental health and comedy. That's kind of like my place uh, in the, the online algorithm. That's great. That's that's so great. I think there's such there's such power in finding humor online too, right? Your feed doesn't have to just be mental health providers. It doesn't just have to be folks who are just educating you. Um, It really can be, you know, sometimes my feed is just all dog videos and that's what I need that day. (laughs) You know, I I agree. (laughs) I agree. And that can be powerful. That's enjoyment. Yeah, absolutely. So for our audience, what are some things that you would suggest to them if if they are seeking to find community and maybe they're not able to find that community in person? I would say work within your limits. You know, so I used to give a tip uh, online. I'll tell people if you're comfortable with it, you know, maybe share your story, post it online and use hashtags, you know, with maybe your city, state, location, and you'll start to find people. But not everybody's comfortable sharing. Not everybody's comfortable putting themselves out there. But what I would say is allow yourself to be present in the moment with wherever you're at and understand that there's certain people online out there or even in person who are exactly where you are. Cause that's a very validating feeling. Cause it's really difficult to start anything 
you know, because you're trying to connect the dots and say, well, what's the point of doing this or why? Or like, am I going to get better? Like, are these people going to like me? Will I like them? But just understand that right where you are, exactly where you are right now, whatever is bothering you, there's people out there who are going through that same exact thing. And just by being around those people, right? Or even let's say you put in a hashtag, you put in ADHD or you put in overwhelmed or put in stress or you put in corporate life. You'll come across all these people who are going through similar things in corporate life where, you know, maybe I see the TikToks where people go on vacation and the boss calls, but like they're already in Jamaica or something like that. You know, it's a funny video. And then you look through the comments and the comment section is really important to pay attention to because a lot of people are in there saying, oh, this happened to me or that happened to me. And a lot of people make friends in the comment section. So I would say allow yourself to remain where you are, like even if you're not in the best place possible. We're going to get somewhere better eventually. But it's important to like and respect who you are, even at your lowest. Because it's really, really, that's when it's hard to be kind to yourself and to use a positive self-talk because you probably don't like who you are in that moment. And you probably don't feel worthy of connection. But just like we have to play the game on easy mode, just right where you are, it's okay being there. And just understand that there's millions of people, if not at least thousands of people out there are exactly where you are and that's okay that's such a good point and and i think that you know in in this time in this day and age where we have so many filters and you know so many different things that are covering who who we can truly show ourselves as it's important to you know take the mask off take the filter off and and just be authentic to yourself and you know find your community because we we have that ability right now and whether you're finding your community as a creator who wants to build that platform or as somebody who is popping in comment sections or you know maybe just saying hi to folks in their dms or whatever it is Mm -hmm. it's it's just so important that that you do in fact go and and connect with one another and also recognizing that you don't have to just connect with strangers if you've got you know your family family, your friends online, connect with them. Or if you, you know, want to just give somebody a phone call or text or FaceTime somebody, you can always do that too. And and that's yeah. just so important for folks to know. Yeah. I love that point. That last point. Yeah. And, and so as we wrap up, do you have any specific closing thoughts or anything, any tips for our audience that you might not have mentioned yet? Yeah, I would say, um, the thing that you're scared to talk about and uh, the things that you are ashamed about are probably going to be the things that allow you to connect with people at a really intimate level, which will help you get a really good community around you. And, you know, like I said earlier, you got to pace yourself. But um, a lot of times it's the embarrassing things, whether it's our diagnosis or whatever. We're still trying to accept about ourselves when we speak about those things. And you talk to people and you find out that they're struggling with those same things, the bond that you build with those people can sometimes help you get through a certain situation, maybe even as good as meds. I'm not saying to stop taking your meds, but community is very underrated. And right now, um, I think loneliness is a silent pa- pandemic here in the U.S. where we're all here together, you know, and like we're all amongst each other, like people are everywhere, but we still feel somewhat lonelier than we've ever felt, or at least even for me post-pandemic hopefully we're past it but um it just feels lonelier you know so connecting with people and not being afraid to share 
things that are you know, embarrassing or vulnerable to be very helpful. And the last thing that I'll say is also, I just want to say thank you so much to um, Mental Health America. My relationship with you know MHA goes back to 2017. Uh, and it's truly a blessing to see all the great things that y'all are doing over there. And um, that's my first partnership that I made in this whole mental health space. So I'll never forget Mental Health America. Yeah, so th- that's why I saw the podcast. I'm like, I have to do this. Like, I need to do this. I, I really want to do this. Oh, I love that. That makes my heart so happy. And, you know, we are so glad to have you and just so glad to see your platform thrive and see your work thrive now. And I, I, I really just appreciate you being here. I really appreciate you being willing to to share all these all these great tidbits of your stories and tips for, for folks um, and I really appreciate you having having your platform and, and being willing to use it for good and to use it to show people that they're not alone. You can connect with each other. You can find folks that, that think like you, that, that look like you online and even in person. Right. So anyway, so thank you so much. And, and thanks for listening, everyone. We will talk to you next week and keep fighting in the open. Mm-hmm.